according to hadith and according to the books of Islam, the knowledge of Rasul, when we come across this, exterior is somebody who prays, the exterior is la ilaha illallah. It is a known fact that we, the followers of Ahlul Bayt, أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم One of the most controversial figures within Islamic history is the man who took charge of the leadership of the Ummah of Rasulullah after Al-Imam Al-Hasan Al-Mujtaba Muawiyah bin Abi Sufyan is seen to be one of the most controversial figures within Islamic history where great debate falls on the personality of this individual. Some people have praised him to be a hero, a man of intelligence, wit, bravery, courage, with the conquest of the Islamic Empire and the expansions of the Islamic territories. He is praised and honored for being the man who developed the most powerful army for the Muslim Empire and the very first navy. Therefore, you find that some Muslims name Islamic institutions and schools after this personality. Some write an entire PhD thesis in defense of the son of Abu Sufyan. And others have found him to be guilty to usurp the Khilafah from the rightful candidates. They have found him to be guilty of theft and murder, to be a con artist who manipulated the Muslim Ummah, who changed the Khilafah and the Islamic leadership from Shura into a kingdom and a dynasty. However, the fact is that Muawiyah bin Abi Sufyan is definitely one of the most influential one of the most influential individuals within the history of Islam i am truly afraid to say possibly the most influential but he's up there he's up there in influence and legacy and his legacy lives until today his school of thought and the so-called children of Muawiyah are the 
ones who until today have hijacked the religion of Islam. And the mentality of Bani Umayyah, specifically their founder and leader, Muawiyah Abi Sufyan, exists in the Muslim community until today. For heaven belongs to them. Hell belongs to them. Righteousness belongs to them. Salvation belongs to them. The representation of Islam belongs to them. Allegiance is given to them. And they are not to be questioned in the way that they rule and govern the Muslim Ummah. If you look at the Muslim society today and the countries who lead and govern in the name of Islam and specifically in the land of Islam, the birthplace of Islam. And within the Saudi monarchy and the rest of the likes of Saudi Arabia, you don't see them following the legacy of Rasulullah, neither the Quran, and indeed, they're not followers of the method of Abu Bakr, Uthman, Umar, or Ali, or Hassan. But they are the followers of Muawiyah, and the school of thought of Muawiyah. Today, when you see that a king has a salary of $800 million a month, a net worth of more than $20 billion. He flies with the golden escalator to his aircraft with thousands and thousands of Servants and entourage. Where did this come from? How have they received this kind of legitimacy? It doesn't stop there. The mufti of the land, the kingdom, the monarchy who represents Allah and represents the Quran and represents the sunnah of Rasulullah comes and gives him and the heir to the throne and allegiance. And what do they say when they give the allegiance? I give you allegiance so that I obey you and I do not break your commands. I follow you just like the, I give you the allegiance just like the companions gave the allegiance to Rasulullah and the Bay'ah of Ridwan. Yes, the exterior is Khadim al The exterior is somebody who prays. The exterior is La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah on the flag. But we all know what happens in the houses of, this, of such individuals, in the private life of such individuals, the vacations that they take to Europe, and the money. And the lavish lifestyles. Not only that, but the killing of innocent people 
in the name of Islam. The sponsorship of Al-Qaeda, the sponsorship of Taliban, the sponsorship of Daesh, from one end, and bombarding the Muslim Ummah, from another, then claiming to be the representatives of God. This is not the legacy of the Khulafa al-Rashidin, but the legacy of Muawiyah. Muawiyah was the one who, in the exterior, was able to demonstrate religiosity and spirituality, and that he was a leader who was concerned with the affairs of the Muslim Ummah. But within his home, he had turned the house of the Khilafah into a brothel. Morality and akhlaq were erased from the tasks of the Khalifa of Rasulullah. In fact, and one of his advice to his son Yazid, he says, Yazid, my son, do not drink in the morning and the night. Don't drink in public. Keep the morning with salah and the community and show a face of religiosity to the people. And as soon as the sun sets, then this is the time for yourself. This is the time that you enjoy yourself. This was the advice of the man who claimed the position of leadership in the Muslim Ummah. A man who appointed his son Yazid as the Khalifa of the Muslims. A man who distorted the image of Islam, the legacy of Rasulullah. And is this a discussion, brothers and sisters, of a Sunni Shia debate? One might ask, the stance that we have from Muawiyah bin Abi Sufyan and the difference that we have with him and what we are saying about him now and the examination of his character and the conclusions that we draw of his legacy, is this a Sunni Shia debate? You know, when we discuss the biography of the first Khalifa Abu Bakr and then the second Khalifa Umar and the third Khalifa Uthman, Yes, this may be a Sunni Shia debate. Even though we did not use any sources from the Shia school of thought or the followers of Ahlul Bayt, we used the most popular and authentic sources from our Sunni brothers. And like I said, our goal and objective was not to disrespect anyone or strip them away from their virtues but to discuss history. However, it is a known fact that we, the followers of Ahlul Bayt, put Amir al-Mu'mineen, Ali ibn Abi Talib, and his sons, Hassan and Hussein above the rest of the companions, including the first Khalifa, and the second Khalifa, and the third Khalifa. And we're, there's no shame in that. We say it, and we say it publicly. And we 
like the Muslim community, instead of calling us kafir, and instead of calling us ignorant, and instead of calling us Ahlul Bid'ah, to come and hear our perspective. Why is it that we believe that Rasulullah announced, announced the appointment of Ali as the first Khalifa? Rasulullah didn't appoint him. Some people say Rasulullah appointed. No, Allah appointed him. According to the Quran, and according to hadith, and according to the books of history, we the followers of Ahlul Bayt cannot come across the hadith of Ghadir. Where Rasulullah says, Man kuntu mawlah, fahada aliyun mawlah. We cannot come across hadith anta minni bimanzilati haruna min Musa illa annahu la nabiya ba'di. We come across a hadith that says, You to me, your relationship to me is like Aaron to Moses, except that there is no prophet after me. And Aaron was the successor of Musa. Ali is the gate of the knowledge of Rasul. When we come across those hadiths in the Day of Judgment, we cannot say to Allah, oh Allah, we saw those hadiths and the ayat, and yet we don't think they meant that you appointed a successor to Rasulullah. That's not what they meant. They meant that, you know, if you love me, then you should love Ali. If you are my friend, you should be the friend of Ali. This is the definition of our brethren in different schools of thought, but we the followers of Ahlul Bayt, we cannot face Allah on the Day of Judgment and see and say all those hadiths and traditions did not mean anything to us. This is where we have a difference. So we have chosen to follow the Islam through the teachings of Imam Ali and Imam Hassan and Imam Hussein and the infallible Imams of Ahlul Bayt. And the other community of believers know, they find that the person who was rightful of the Khilafah was Abu Bakr and then Umar and Uthman and Ali. However, when it comes to Muawiyah bin Abi Sufyan, is this a Sunni Shia debate? Absolutely not, brothers and sisters. Let us get our facts straight, let us understand the stance of the Muslim Ummah and the Ulama, don't look at Islam today. Don't look at some individuals who claim knowledge and they'll name a school after Muawiyah and they'll write a thesis, PhD thesis after Muawiyah, they'll name their children Muawiyah. No. Come to the Imams of the Muslim Ummah. And I'm not going to mention any Shia Imams. Imam al-Nisa'i. Imam al-Nisa'i, one of the greatest of scholars in the Sunni madhab. What happened to Imam al-Nisa'i? Do we read his biography? One of the authors of the Sihah. Imam al-Nisa'i from Egypt, he migrated to Sham. When he reached Sham, they told him, how come you don't uh, have hadiths praising Muawiyah bin Abi Sufyan? He was the imam of hadith. So he kept ignoring them. They kept telling him, tell us hadiths praising Muawiyah. Where are the hadiths praising Muawiyah? 
Where is Muawiyah in your books? So he said, the, the only thing I know about Muawiyah is Rasulullah said about him, لا أشبع الله بطنه Rasulullah said, said that may his stomach never feel the satisfaction of food. So he was constantly hungry. What did they do to him? What did they do to him? They beat him in ways I can't describe now. And they disrespected him until he died. They beat him until death. Imam al-Nisa'i. Al-Hakim al-Nayshaburi. Al-Hakim al-Nayshaburi who wrote the book Al-Mustadrak ala sahihain Brothers, today I'm speaking to the ulama. I'm speaking to the scholars. I'm speaking to the educated of the Muslim community. Al-Hakim al-Nayshaburi is the author of Al-Mustadrak ala sahihain What is the book of Al-Mustadrak ala sahihain Al-Mustadrak ala sahihain is the book that's entitled The Rescuer of Sahih Muslim and The Rescuer of Sahih Bukhari. He used the same chain of narrators that Bukhari uses. And the same chain of narrators that Muslim uses and he authored a book called Al-Mustadrak ala sahihain So the same methodology of Imam Bukhari, same methodology of Imam Muslim was applied by Al-Hakim al-Nayshaburi. Al-Hakim al-Nayshaburi told them that I do not find any fadail for Muawiyah. I don't wish to bring any virtues for Muawiyah in my book. They broke his member. Why go far? Muawiyah Thani, who is Muawiyah Thani? The second Muawiyah, the son of Yazid. He is a witness to the character of his grandfather and his father. When his father Yazid died, he stood and he gave a sermon. Go read, Al-Imam Al-Bukhari brings this sermon. Zahabi and, and Tariq Asakir, Ibn Asakir, they bring this sermon of Muawiyah Thani. He stood and he said, my father, my grandfather usurped the Khilafah of Hassan. And my father Yazid fought Hussein over his rightful position of being a Khalifa. And they have accumulated great sin. And today they face Allah and they have to be, they have to respond to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I am not worthy of this Khilafa, neither this Khilafa is meant for me and my clan. And he stepped down from the Khilafa. He was a witness to the atrocities of his father and his grandfather Muawiyah. This is his own grandson. The ulama today don't think that this is, you know, I'm talking about Nisa'i and I'm talking about... Uh, Al-Hakim al-Nayshaburi. Today, until today, the greatest of scholars within the Muslim Ummah, the community of the Sahaba, have voiced their opinion in regards to Muawiyah bin Abi Sufyan. Look at the work of Dr. Adnan Ibrahim. 
an Islamic thinker, and a speaker, and a scholar, even though he belongs to the Sunni school of thought, but look at his condemnation of Muawiyah bin Abi Sufyan. Farhan al-Maliki, a scholar, a professor who lives in the Saudi kingdom, has written and done works on Mathalib, Muawiyah, and he has a theory that Muawiyah was behind the murder of Rasulullah. This is a scholar today in Saudi Arabia. So the debate, Al-Imam al-Shafi'i, if you are a Shafi'i, Al-Imam, what does Imam al-Shafi'i say? Imam al-Shafi'i says, I am certain that four of the companions are Fasiq. Fasiq. And amongst them, he mentions the name of Muawiyah. Ibn Abi Sufyan. And today, this topic remains to be the most relevant topic. Why? Because like I told you brothers, today, the Islam that is represented in the media, the Islam that's hijacked the principles and the teachings of Rasulullah is the Islam of Muawiyah. The Islam of Daesh, the Islam of Al-Qaeda, the Islam of ISIS. And if we want to know how is it that Islam has reached this point today, and how is it that we find that the religion of Islam has turned into a dangerous cult, then we have to go and study the history and the biography and the legacy of this man, Muawiyah bin Abi Sufyan. Let us examine him in the following manner. Number one, we will examine him as he entered the religion of Islam. Number two, what does it mean when they say that Muawiyah is a Sahabi, so you cannot disrespect any of the Sahaba? What does that mean? Number three, his life and the role that he played during the life of Rasulullah and after the Fath and the liberation of Mecca, after his Islam. And then, we will discuss him as he took the leadership position in the 41st year after the Hijrah. How did he react towards the treaty that he had with Imam Hassan? His killing of Ammar ibn Yasir. Number six, his killing of Muhammad ibn Abi Bakr. Number seven, his lifestyle as a Khalifa of the Muslims. And number eight, the appointment of his son Yazid ibn Muawiyah after your loud salawat ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. Muawiyah 
entered the religion of Islam after the liberation of Mecca, after they were not given any sort of chance anymore to delay their Islam. Rasulullah marched with his companions into the city of Mecca and they liberated the city of Mecca and the next day Rasulullah gave a sermon next to the Kaaba. Abu Sufyan, his father came. The staunch enemy of Rasulullah. His mother Hind was the one who cut the body of Hamza, the uncle of Rasulullah, Sayyid al-Shuhada, and she dug out his liver, and she ate his liver, and she made a necklace out of his ears and nose and tongue and lips, and she wore this necklace as a sign of glory. This was his mother Hind. They as a family were at the forefront of every battle against Islam and Rasulullah. So Abu Sufyan came and his followers came in Mecca and they stood in front of Rasulullah. Ya Rasulullah, what will you do with us? Will you take us as prisoners? Will you strip us away from our businesses? What will you do with us? Now you are the powerful one. What did Rasulullah say? You've been freed. Meaning what? Meaning we, you can t be taken as prisoners. But we have graced you with freedom. We have forgiven you and graced you with freedom. And Rasulullah wanted to make it a point, brothers and sisters. Just like Allah, you see, Allah sends down a 12th chapter in the Quran. For example, Surah Yusuf. Huh? Why would Allah send the whole chapter, Surah Yusuf, in all its details to the early Muslim community? Why not just a reference to Yusuf? You see, Yusuf was taken by whom? By his own brothers. The closest people to him. Thrown in the whale. And then sold as a slave. And then he ended up becoming a slave and then a servant and then he was accused of a crime he had not committed and he was imprisoned. So at, until this part of the story of Yusuf, if you're reading the story of Yusuf, you find that what is this miserable man? What is this innocent person who became so miserable? Why? Where was God? Where was Allah's justice? Isn't he Yusuf, the son of a prophet, a prophet himself? Shouldn't God be looking over him and protecting him? How did he go through all those miseries and tribulations and end up in prison for a crime he has not committed? Huh? But then that same Yusuf gets out of prison and now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides to empower him. So he becomes the most powerful man of Egypt and his brothers, his brothers, now have to come and beg for his mercy. Beg for his forgiveness, true? What did the story entail to the Muslims and non-Muslims alike? 
Allah wanted to tell them, all of them, that this Muhammad, this orphan kid, who today all of you fight him and terrorize him, will be given power. And he will be the Aziz of Mecca, just like Yusuf became Aziz Masr. And you'll have to stand in front of him and beg him for his forgiveness. And this is exactly what happened. This was the form of inspiration of the Qur'an. Yes, sometimes, unfortunately, we don't know how to read the Qur'an and understand the Qur'an and allow the Qur'an to relate to our minds and our souls. But we blame the Qur'an. We say the Qur'an is out of date. No, my brain is out of date. I don't know how to relate to the Qur'an. Right? And until today, this Qur'an inspires me and you that those people of Yemen, don't look at them today. Don't look at the might and the power of Saudi Arabia today. One day that used to apply to Saddam as well. When he was bombarding innocent people. But what was the end of Saddam? Allah is the Almighty, All-Powerful. A day will come when the people of Yemen will receive the break will be empowered not by armies and people and by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because they are mazlum and the zalim, you will see his day will come as well. Just like the day of Abu Sufyan came and the rest of them came. Anyhow, so Rasulullah there stood and he freed them. This is how they entered the religion of Islam. Not willingly, not out of love, not out of iman, not out of piety. And they tell you that Muawiyah is a Sahabi, Abu Sufyan is a Sahabi. What does it mean if we say Sahabi? What does Sahabi mean? Brothers, those who are outside the school of Ahl al-Bayt, those who attribute themselves to the Sahaba, what do you mean when you tell me that Muawiyah is a Sahabi? A companion. Isn't a companion somebody who's supposed to learn from the leader? Somebody who's supposed to be loyal? Somebody who's supposed to be respectful? a follower, or just anybody who saw the Prophet, even if he was an enemy to him. What I'm about to share with you is in Bukhari and Muslim, only those two books. I'm not bringing from any other scholar. Rasulullah sends after Muawiyah, this is his position as a Sahabi. Rasulullah sends after him, they come and they tell him, Ya Rasulullah, he's eating. The second time Rasulullah sends after him, they come and tell him, Ya Rasulullah, he's eating. The third time Rasulullah sends after him, he's still eating. Allahu Akbar. This, you call this guy, as a, this guy as a sahabi? A person who prefers food over Rasulullah calling him. So Rasulullah then raised his hands and he says, La Allahu batna. May his stomach never be filled. May he always remain hungry. And Rasulullah's dua is mustajab. Read history. They say that Muawiyah used to have seven full meals a day. And he would wake up in the middle of the night and eat. And he got to a point where he had a servant. 
Every half an hour he would wake up, wake up from hunger, the servant would stuff his face because he never felt the satisfaction after a meal and he became distorted, his face, he became so obese, his face and his body became distorted. And that is why he could not stand for the khutbah of the Friday prayers. He was the very first person to sit and deliver the Friday sermon. This is Muawiyah bin Abi Sufyan. One day Rasulullah saw him, his father and his brother Yazid. He had a brother by the name of Yazid as well. Muawiyah, his father Abu Sufyan and his brother Yazid. Their father was on a mule, Muawiyah was holding the rein. And Yazid, his brother, was behind the mule, moving the mule. Rasulullah says, cursed is the one riding. And cursed is the one holding, and cursed is the one guiding the mule. This is according to all the Muslims. Yeah, they say this, they, they, they bring this hadith. It's in their books. They cannot deny the hadith, but they have fabricated another hadith. That Rasulullah, before he died, he says, If I have cursed anyone, may my curse turn into a blessing unto him. We'll talk about the, the fabrications of hadith when the time comes. But this was the position of Muawiyah in the time of Rasulullah. This was the status of the son of Abu Sufyan. And his relationship towards Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. And as he became a caliph, he claimed the position of Khilafah. What kind of Khalifa was he? A righteous one? A pious one? The first thing that he did after he took the truce and the peace treaty from Imam Hassan. He came to Kufa and he said everything in this peace, he ripped the peace treaty. He says every term in this peace treaty, I will put it under my feet. So why did, why did, uh, why did some people ask, why did Abu uh, Muawiyah have a peace treaty, sulh with Imam Hassan? Didn't he have 120,000 people in his troops? So why did he have to do a peace treaty and a truce? He could have just went to war with Imam Hassan. Two reasons. Number one, he realized that if he goes to war and kills the grandson of Rasulullah, his legitimacy will be questioned. His Khilafah will be questioned. And it wasn't just Imam Hassan. Many of the Sons of the Khulafa, the relatives of the Khulafa, the heads of the armies, the dignitaries of the time of the three caliphs, the four caliphs were in the tide of Imam Hassan. That's one. And number two, he genuinely thought that he would be killed. He genuinely thought that he might lose the battle. Because he had lost against Amir al-Mu'mineen. And the same people who led the army of Amir al-Mu'mineen were leading the army of Imam Hassan. 
So he was advised by his advisors, don't go to war with him. Try to use deception in order to win the Khilafah. He did. When he became the Khalifa, you know, today the Wahhabis, mashallah, you see them, the, the beard is up to their bellies. And the Dishdasha is up to their knees. You know, you know how you have shalwar kameez? They wear the, sh the kameez, but they, know, they don't wear the shalwar. Because they think that this is the sunnah of Rasulullah. Sunnah, sunnah. That's, that's the sunnah they take from Rasulullah. <laughs> As if Rasulullah had no other sunnah, but a beard up to here and a, a short dress. Let me tell you, you praise Muawiyah and you love Muawiyah so much. Let me tell you of the appearance of Muawiyah when he became a Khalifa. I'm not telling you, this is, this is books that speak of his biography from your own books. He used to plug his beard because apparently maybe they didn't have razors then. So he, he was clean, clean, clean as a baby. Huh? No beard. And his... He would wear a dress as the dress of the kings of Kisra, the Persian Empire. Six people would carry the dress of the Khalifa when he walked into the masjid. Yeah. You know how you've seen in the wedding, sometimes the dress of the, the bride is... La ilaha illallah. So some people carry, this is the Khalifa. They used to carry his dress. And he used to sit on a golden throne. And he was the very first person to bring into his palace castrated boys and men. I, I don't need to tell you why. They would take boys and men castrate them, turn them into slaves for the Khalifa's pleasurement. This is Muawiyah. This is the legacy of Muawiyah. This was the lifestyle that he had. The most lavish of lifestyles. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud went to him, he said to him, Assalamu alayka ayyuhal malik. He wanted to tell him, you're not a Khalifa, you're not Amir al-Mu'mineen. And Muawiyah says, Inni raditu bil mulk. What do you think? I'm embarrassed to tell you that I'm a king and I don't want to be a khalifa. You can greet me as the king. I am proud and, I'm a, and I am a proud king. Yes, he took the khilafah and changed it into a dynasty and a kingdom. And he was the one who prayed Salatul Jum'ah once on Wednesday and once on Thursday. It's called the Friday prayers, but he prayed Wednesday and he prayed on Thursday. Why? Because he was busy on the Friday. So he told them that you have to gather and I will lead the Friday prayers on Wednesday or Thursday. And you know when you pray the Eid prayers, what do we do? We have the Salah first and then the Khutbah. But Friday prayers, we have the khutbah first and then the salah, right? But back then, because they had no TV and they had to sit 
And it was mandatory for everyone to be present in Jumu'ah and to be present in Eid. This was mandatory. You cannot skip them. The guards would go and drag you out of your home and tell you you have to come and listen to the khutbah. So Muawiyah was the very first one to reverse the Eid prayers. First khutbah and then salah. Why? Because people had to sit and listen to him. Because some people might pray and leave, but he wanted to make sure that they listen. This was the only time he had to brainwash them. And why did he do that? He did that while he had the qameez, the shirt of Uthman, where he used to give the sermons, he would put the shirt of Uthman. And every sermon he gave, he said, you know who the bloody shirt of Uthman? Uthman's shirt had some blood, because you know he was killed. He would say, you know who's responsible for the blood on the shirt of the Khalifa Uthman? Ali. And we have to kill Ali. And we have to fight Ali. And we have to go against Ali. While the children of Uthman himself were in Medina, and they never accused Imam Ali. If anybody had to go after the blood of Uthman, it's his sons. And if you wanted to really find the killers of Uthman, why didn't you come to Medina? Why did you bring an army to Iraq to face Imam Ali? And in the battles... When he was about to be defeated and he was about to be crushed, he realized this is it. Imam Ali every day would call him, Muawiyah, let's end the killing of innocent people. You face me man to man. <laughs> In his dreams he would face, not Ali, one of the children of Ali ibn Abi Talib, one of the students of Ali ibn Abi Talib. Muawiyah he knew Amr ibn al-As, who was the advisor of Muawiyah. Listen, listen to the biography of Amr ibn al-As. I'll give you one of his merits. Imam Ali Raft ran after him in the battle of Safin. He knew that he, if he catches him, he's gone. So what did he do? This brave man. This brave man removed his clothes. <laughs> And he knew that Imam Ali was not going to look at his private part. <laughs> this is the way they ran away from Ali in the battlefield. By taking refuge to their private parts. So they can sa save themselves against the sword of Ali ibn Abi Talib. This is Islam. And Muawiyah used to make fun of him until he died. He was the advisor of Muawiyah, but Muawiyah every day. So this guy, he came, Amr ibn al-As came to Muawiyah. He says, Muawiyah, you should face him. You should face him. Every day he tells you, come and fight. You should fight him. He says, you want me to do the same thing that you did? What kind of advice is that? So they knew... That in the battlefield they will lose against Amir al-Mu'mineen. 
And that is why they use deception. Every day he would sit on the minbar and give the sermon to brainwash the people of Sham against Ali ibn Abi Talib. He murdered Uthman and he murdered Uthman until he was able to take 120,000 people to face Imam Ali in the battle of Safin. He killed the closest, the most beloved companion to Rasulullah in the battle of Safin. You know, the story is traced all the way back to the time where Rasulullah was building his masjid. You know his masjid in Medina now? Rasulullah, he built this masjid with his own hand. And the Muslims, they helped him. Brick on top of a brick on top of a brick, they built the masjid of Rasulullah, the original masjid of Rasulullah. Amongst the people building there was Ammar. Ammar. So Ammar one day got into a heated debate with the third Khalifa Uthman ibn Affan. We don't want to get into that story. But then Rasulullah told him, Ya Ammar, Ammar, the ones who go astray from the religion of Islam will kill you, will murder you. And Ammar was on the side of Imam Ali, murdered by, Muaw by Muawiyah. But what did they do? Did they just murder him? No. The head of Ammar ibn Yasir was the very first head that was amputated in Islam. This is history, huh? Don't tell me, Sayyid, how is this topic relevant? Today, if you find the heads of the followers of Ali beheaded, it is because Ammar ibn Yasir, who was the follower of Ali ibn Abi Talib, was also beheaded. The very first head to be beheaded in Islam was the head of Ammar ibn Yasir, the Sahabi of Rasulullah. I'm not speaking to those Wahhabis or those Nasabis or those who are close their brains. No, I'm speaking to an average Muslim who's grown up in this country. What difference does it make to you if you call yourself Sunni or Shia? You're a Muslim, right? And you want to seek the path to Allah. This is the history of Islam. Rethink your decisions. Ammar ibn Yasir, who can question him? He was the very first head to be cut in the religion of Islam, in the battle of Safin. And two people fought over the head of Ammar ibn Yasir, the Sahabi of Rasulullah. This is how they were brainwashed. Those are Muslims. They prayed and they performed the Hajj. He was responsible for the killing of the son of the first Khalifa. Muhammad ibn Abi Bakr was killed by Muawiyah. But he was not just killed. I wish he was just killed. He was killed. He was put into the skin of a mule. They skinned a mule. They emptied the stomach of the mule. They chopped the body of, of, of Muhammad bin. Look at the brutality. Unheard of brutality. You'll never hear this anywhere else in history. They cut him into pieces. They stuffed him into the stomach of the mule. Then they burned it down. Allahu Akbar. What kind of brutality is this? Ordered by Muawiyah. Who? Sayyidna Muawiyah radiyallahu anhu. Allahu Akbar.
You call him Sayyidna Muawiyah radiyallahu an? What kind of Sayyid is he? So we the followers of Ahl al-Bayt are we criminals when we say he's not our Sayyid? Let him be your Sayyid. We don't want to say that Allah is pleased with him. Is this a crime? Is this why we deserve death and murder? For not sending the rida that you sent onto a personality like Muawiyah bin Abi Sufyan. And last but not least, the biography is too complicated and too complex. And how he hired those who were the Sahaba and some of them were the followers of the Sahaba to fabricate hadith for him. Tomorrow we will discuss that. When we discuss the Umayyad dynasty, in one sermon tomorrow, in one lecture, we will discuss the Umayyad dynasty and the role they played into the history of Islam. There I will tell you of the fabrications of hadith. One, one, I'll, I'll tell you one of them. You know how Rasulullah says, Ana Madinatul Ilmu Aliyun Babuha. I am the city of knowledge and Ali is the gate. They added one line, short line. It's okay, just two words. Wa Mu'awiyah Mihrabuha. And Mu'awiyah is the Mihrab of the city. They say that Rasulullah gave an arrow to Mu'awiyah. And he said to him, Muawiyah, keep this arrow with you until the day of judgment. In the day of judgment, you wave this arrow to me, and I will let you into paradise. Oh, if I tell you of the fabrications, Muawiyah has, has become above the prophets by money. Money. It was generous. He would give, and he stayed in power. And he changed and distorted the religion of Islam, and in the end, he gave the Khilafah to whom? To his son Yazid. When the news reached Abdullah ibn Umar, or Abdul Rahman ibn Umar, this is Imam Bukhari, he says, he says, he said, how can he give the Khilafah to his son while he had a, a treaty with Hassan and the Khilafah must go to Hussein. But also some of the sons of the Khulafa, they found themselves to be candidates to Khilafah as well. So he said, we are more worthy of this Khilafah. What did Muawiyah say to him? The son of the Khalifa, he says to him, my son is more worthy to the Khilafah than you and your father. Huh? What happened? I thought that the followers of Ahl al-Bayt are the only ones that question the Khilafah of the first and the second and the third. Abdullah ibn Umar in his last days Abdullah ibn Umar is, to say the least, extremely respected by the majority of the Muslims 
and believed to be a scholar, a scholar, true scholar, a faqih of Islam, says, I have hasra and regret towards one thing about the dunya. I have extreme regret about one thing in this dunya. I am departing with this extreme regret why I did not side with Ali against Muawiyah on the day of Safi. When they saw that Islam has reached where it has reached, that's it. And Muawiyah was the one who took out the children of the companions, the companions themselves, the sons of the Khulafa. Anybody who speaks Muawiyah would finish him. Hajr ibn Adi al-Kindi was murdered. The companions and the followers of Amir al-Mu'mineen were murdered. The we'll speak of the several of the key companions who were murdered by Bani Umayyah and specifically by Muawiyah tomorrow. And he appointed his son Yazid. Allahu Akbar. Yazid, who was publicly known, everybody knew Yazid. Sharbun lil Khamr publicly drinks. He is the one famous for his line of poetry that says, Allah says, Ma qala waylun lilladheena sharibu bal qala waylun lilmusallina mocking the Quran and mocking Allah and mocking Allah did not say my wrath falls onto those who drink but he says my wrath falls onto those who pray talks about those who take their prayer lightly the verse in the Quran and he turns it into a poetry and mocks Allah and the Quran and there, he gave, Yazid ibn Muawiyah gave an option to Hussein, either to pay allegiance to him for this catastrophe and the hijacking of the religion of Islam to continue, or that Hussein will be killed and slain. And Hussein could not have accepted the option of seeing Islam and the religion of his grandfather be hijacked by such individuals. But Imam al-Hussein was not looking to have a fight. This is what people don't understand. Imam al-Hussein left Medina to Mecca and they tipped him off that, Ya Ibn Rasulullah, if you stay in Mecca, they will kill you next to the Kaaba. So he went towards Kufa. They intercepted him when Hur intercepted Imam Hussein. Imam Hussein says, Fine, allow me to go somewhere else. I will not go to Iraq, neither I will return to Medina. I will go to another destination. Yes, it is wajib for Imam al-Hussein to protect his life and the life of his children. But Imam al-Hussein was also the son of the man who says, If all the Arabs draw their sword in my face, I will not give them my back. Huh? If all the Arabs draw their swords in my face, I will not give them my back. 
And what are Ahl al-Bayt known for? For bravery. Shaja'a. Allah has instilled the Iman in their hearts to an extent that they are the bravest of individuals of their time. And Imam al-Husayn and his companions faced this test and tribulation and the responsibility that had fell on their shoulder with giving themselves on the 10th of Muharram in Karbala. One by one, young and old, Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.